Hello, this is Eric with Dungeons and Tangents. You are tuning in to one of the early episodes of this podcast, so I wanted to make sure you know the quality of these early episodes is inferior to later episodes. I recommend checking out episode 14 or later. It's around that time that we really get our process figured out. If you're listening to this early material, I hope you forgive us for our learning curve, and thank you very much for listening. So, welcome to episode 7, I believe, of Dungeons and Tangents. I'm Robert Sherman. I'm Eric Dewhurst. And this episode we are talking about metagaming. Possibly the topic that Eric and I will be the most divided on. I understand the reasons why people don't like metagaming. Uh, and I, I see how it can be disruptive. Um, I don't know how to turn it off for me. But I'm constantly metagaming in the back of my brain. So I think most people who play a lot of games inherently do. Because a lot of games are competitive. Well, okay, before we get too far into <laughs> Into it, let's get, give a definition of what metagaming is. And I looked up a couple different okay. uh, definitions, and it boils down to using knowledge that you as a player have that your character does not have for a competitive advantage. Okay. An example of that would be you are playing a character that is uh, new to the game. Perhaps your last character died, but your last character knew something and you use that to the advantage of your new character. You had the, the AC tracking example. Mm, yes. So one of the ones that bugs even me is when you're trying to figure, you're in an encounter and you're actively trying to figure out the AC of the creature that you're up against. It happens naturally, I totally get it, but you can be kind of tactful about when you're doing it yeah. instead of like just overtly being like ha it's AC 16 like well right I, I've, I've seen people do that where it's like the first hit oh you mean a 15 didn't hit this okay and the next hit they get a 16 oh it's 16 and then they say it out loud and they t- let right. everybody in the, in the team know the AC is 16 so if you need any buffs to get up to that let's figure that out right and that's uh, you know it's strategizing which is good. Which I think it's yeah. encouraged. It's you know teamwork in that, in that specific instance. Well, I think the first thing you want to talk about is why it's bad. So I think metagaming is bad because it takes you out of the experience of the game. When I'm playing a game of D and D, and I I want to be very specific about this, D and D is a game where metagaming is bad. A game where you are competing against one another, poker. Poker is a game where metagaming is the game. You are trying to use every piece of information you have about that person, about the cards, about the deck of cards, about mm-hmm. the situation. Did they have a bad day? Did they have a good day? Everything to figure out whether or not you can win because it's a competitive game. Whereas Blackjack is a game where metagaming will get you thrown out of the casino. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Maybe that should be the... <laughs> well, but, but um, D&D is inherently a collaborative game right and it's intended to also be a narrative game now mm-hmm. i know that's not 100 percent of the game it's not 100 percent narrative game it has mechanics and those mechanics are used to succeed or fail during during encounters and other situations but when you met a game in D, 
you're effectively using that same part of your brain that's trying to win at poker to win at D&D against either the DM or your fellow players, and it feels like you're, you're enacting the mechanics more and focusing more on the mechanics rather than on the narrative. Right, and this feeds into something that we've talked about in the past, which is the, the mechanic being there to facilitate the, the game or the story as opposed to the game being there to facilitate the mechanic. And I think you've stumbled upon a great analogy in poker in that in poker, the, the purpose is to get money. Yeah. You, you want to win the game to get money, right? And that the mechanic of poker is there to facilitate that. Of the you know five people there, who gets to walk away with everybody else's money, right? Right. Uh, in D&D, the point, that the way that you win D&D uh, is to have fun. Ideally. Right. Now, I think there are people who are motivated by different things when they play well, D&D. It's but very, very possible. The, the people I want to play with are going to have fun, right? Fair and enough. People have different kinds of fun. That, that okay, maybe that's that's more important. And than, that is understandable. Yeah. Right. Uh, and my kind of fun might not be compatible with your kind of fun. It's rare. I've had a couple of instances that I can think of, in specific to D and D, where it just didn't work out. The know? kind of fun that you wanted to have wasn't right. Didn't so equate with the other players. Did, somebody wasn't invited back to the, the table. Okay. Uh, I can think of one specific instance years ago where. Somebody their their idea of fun was just messing with everybody else. They got invited, oh, okay. invited into the group cold. They had a great time and ruined the night for everybody else. And then right. we never saw them again. I believe the current player's handbook goes through the different kinds of players, kind of profiles for players. I, w- I wish I had on the top of my head all of them. I remember like two or three of them. There's a storyteller, which is what I know I am. I love a good story. If my character dies but it's a great story, I'm happy. Uh, there's the strategist who wants everybody, usually everybody, to make the best strategic decision for either the encounter or um, you know, the, the narrative even. You fall more under the strategist-tactician. Absolutely, yes. So, <laughs> and that's very mechanically minded. So you and I are on kind of opposite ends-ish of the D&D player spectrum. When we're playing a game together and we spend too much time thinking about the mechanics, it pulls it away from the storyline. It stops being fun for me when I start thinking about the game as a database table. So I, I did get my train of thought back as far as that analogy of poker huh, yeah. and be there and to have fun. You can very easily ruin else's fun by metagaming, focusing on the rules surfacing that mechanic that we've talked about where you then that immersion and that engagement is gone yeah the mechanic should be there to to deepen the engagement and all that if you focus on it too much you you don't want to surface the fact that really what we're all doing is playing math right right (laughs) that's that's kind of that's kind of a a buzzkill uh yeah Uh, for most people some people it's not yeah yeah so you, you do want to make sure everybody's fun is compatible so that everybody, you know, you, you can you can have different people there and have fun. I have a blast every time that you and I play. Uh, I'm hoping I don't kill all of your fun, but um, just because that we play differently doesn't mean that it's not compatible, right? Yeah. Doesn't mean, but I, I try not to metagame too much during your games. Um, I think you called me out a couple times. Have I? Fine. Yeah. Have I? Okay. Pretty sure you have. Okay. But uh, I, nevertheless, I have fun with it. It helps me be a better player, too. And, hmm. and I think that there's a, a progression 
I think metagaming is incredibly useful when you're teaching somebody the game. As, as that person evolves and becomes a more mature player, those kind of things will kind of become natural and the, yeah. the consciously gaming the system will kind of fall away, right? And then you get into that kind of, I think, that area of the bell curve where most people sit where I, I want to role play. Yeah. Um, I can't really turn off the metagame, but I'm going to try to be tactful about it. Probably, you know, 70-80% of people are in that. And then you get into the other end of the spectrum where people are, are role-playing a lot more, uh, using voices, That a lot of things in the narrative episode with you and Chris. Yeah. That, that's a, a much more mature player. Now, you will find people who, day one, are, are just phenomenally engaged. I am super comfortable in the middle of that bell curve. <laughs> I, I've used voices a, a couple times once in a while. I have a bunch of fun when I do. Super awkward for me to try and do that, you know, um, especially if like I'm gaming with people I've never met before. Mm. Or, or in, in my experience, there's a progression and the, there's an inverse relationship between how mature a player is and how much metagaming they do. And I think metagaming mm. has a, is a huge asset when you're teaching somebody the game and it just kind of naturally evolves where it becomes less and less and less. And you will, of course, find people who don't need that in the beginning, and you'll find people who, who need it, and it never goes away. I assume that when you say that you metagame a lot, you try to figure out what the best mathematical way through the situation is in your head, right? right. You're thinking that through because it's just it's natural. You're like, well, I've got, I can hit for this much, and that, I think, has an AC in this range. If I use this weapon versus this weapon, I'm going to hit better. I know it has very few hit points, so I'm just going to go for the thing that has uh, better to hit but lower, lower damage. Like you make those decisions in your head. Mm-hmm. When those come out of your mouth, I think that can sometimes cross a boundary. And I've done that with you before when you were okay. in the game. I've, I've specifically done that with a couple people who were learning. Yes, yes, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, because uh, I think the thing I'm thinking of is there. Somebody didn't know about flanking bonuses, right? And so I was like, yeah. if you did this and this and this, yeah. you'd be in a much better position, right? But I did it once. Uh, when you've got new players, you're going to have to explain what's the flanking bonus, what's what's your uh, to hit bonus, what is your hit die, how, how do you roll these dice? No, I'm not saying flanking is metagaming, right? Flanking no. is, a, is a perfectly legitimate, viable tactic for me to say I'm doing this specifically to hit a certain mathematical sweet spot is less than ideal. <laughs> you can weave that into the narrative very easily. Yes, you can say, absolutely. if you were the type of person who talks in character, you could just have your character tell the other person, hey, get on their other side and let's flank them. Mm-hmm. And that makes the, the strategy of that situation part of the story. The mechanics are reflecting something that, that fits the narrative. Right. And it's going to surface anyway. You're going to roll, somebody's going to say, well, what would you get? Well, I got a 23. Yeah. I, I saw what you rolled there. How did you How did you arrive at that? Well, I have this bonus plus flanking. Right. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. Right? But I'm not running on that. Don't worry about it. Your plus two bonus is coming. <laughs> right. It's all how you approach it. I, I think in any game, there's going to be one person who is the rules lawyer. Maybe that's not true, but I think everybody has dealt with a rules lawyer. Somebody who is so focused on the rules that sometimes they can't let go of the rules and have fun. Yes. That is kind of an extreme version of metagaming. And I'm sure you've been in games with people like that. Yes, and it can be abused. I see that kind of thing a lot more in organized play or public play, right? 
where the by definition you're you're getting together with a bunch of people you haven't met before and you'll probably never meet again. And I think that comes back to the poker analogy because the people that are sitting down at a, a, a table with strangers think of it as a competitive environment. Right. The, I think that's natural. You sit down with strangers, you're going to feel a little bit like you need to compete with them just because that's the nature of most games. But D&D is a little different. Or you well, if you're playing poker with be. five people you've never met before and somebody bets their car and you win. <laughs> it's a little scary. Car, yeah. Right? But if you and I play poker and you bet your car and I win, uh, you know, I didn't have to watch you take the bus. For <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I have to see, like, the yeah. effects of what you lost, right? Yeah. Um, there are consequences to the relationship in, in a personal game. It's weird just funny. for some people... It's the second they no longer have that connection to their players, they're very comfortable with abusing the rules, right? And some, a lot of people aren't. They just want to play yeah. the way they normally play. Yeah, in, in the uh, Adventure League games I've played, uh, there were only maybe one or two people, and there were six people, six players per game. Right. So that's, that's a very low ratio of people who are trying to abuse the rules in a situation where abuse of the rules... It makes that person feel like they've achieved something. That's probably what it boils down to. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, it's a personality type. It's a personality it, type okay. of, of, you know, uh, it's Friday night, one of my parents is gone, I'm going to try and see what I can get away with, with you know, while, while, while it's, just, it's just me and dad. You know, I mean, can I stay up until 11 and, <laughs> and watch movies, right? I guess one thing that, that this whole discussion reminded me of was the term the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law absolutely D&D is unique in that you have a dungeon master who can arbitrate keep people more or less honest so long as it's fun for people in the gray areas of the rules you don't have to play by the letter of the law you don't have to pull the book out every damn time and be like well I think this spell is uh, a 30 foot radius maybe it's 60 foot can we what do we what do we... Ah, whatever. Do do 60 feet for now and we'll look it up later. Right. That is unique to any game that has a dungeon master or game master. And I feel like the existence of that role, a lot of it is about reducing the amount of metagaming that happens and pulling the focus over to narrative. I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm biased in, in that way. I think that metagaming isn't by nature bad. I think it's anything else depends on how you use it. But ultimately, it boils down to the rules, the mechanics, the the setup of you know having somebody running the game, having the players. It's all there to help facilitate you have a good time. Yeah. And if at any point it gets in the way of you having fun, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, because ultimately that's the goal is to have fun. When I've had players focus on like trying to track the AC of a creature, it just feels like a wet rag on the whole situation. It it kills the buzz a little bit like oh okay you're you're doing all the math where's the fun <laughs> but but also it it can help too it can definitely help and I'll, i can think of a specific reason you had an encounter that you ran goblin or some i don't know but it was something where a specific circumstance had to be met before they would go down to, to zero HP, right? And so we just kept wailing on this thing and it wouldn't go down. And so I was keeping track of like, I feel like we've done at this point a certain amount of damage and where we're at now with the level and all that, like 
this is way more than it should have been able to handle. And so for me, I started to panic a little bit. Like, this is okay. not going to go well for us. <laughs> like, we're screwed. This is bad. But the fact that we were metagaming, or at least I was a little bit, was like, I started, that dread started to creep in with like, okay, this is not what I'm thinking it is. And we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. So me as a DM running a situation like that, I could have added narrative that would make you feel the dread. And I guess I did a little bit. With mm-hmm. the boars, it was, you know, you hit him for 12 damage. You're a first level character. You hit something for 12 damage. That's like, it should be gone. It staggers back and then it shakes its head and comes at you again. Right. Like, what the hell? That's insane. And that narrative should give you the dread that keeping track of hit points kind of, it, it, they mirror one another. So for you, it works for you that you translate that number, I did 12 damage, into I hit the shit out of this thing and it should be down and dead in your head. Actually, do you do that in your head? Do you translate it into a story? I don't want to translate it into a story. For me, I start to think that, I start to wonder what's going on. And it establishes okay. that definite sense of urgency. You know, it was just whittling down the health. It was after a certain point, we had to get it to zero and negative something all in one shot. And if we didn't, it didn't lose any health at all. And so all we know is that we had really just beaten this thing way beyond what should have been necessary, and it was fine. And I was like, we need to get out of here. We need to think about how we're going to just, you know, Well, it sounds like you, you have translated it into a story in your mind. Right, and maybe not consciously, but yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't have like a, a narrative there, but no. I've got this like subconscious dread of like, this is not going to go our way, and this is going to be the end of us if we don't, yeah, we need to do a course correction and get out of here because yeah. we thought we had it handled and we don't have it handled. <laughs> I don't know. To to me, that sounds like you translated the numbers into something more than just numbers. Well, what I can tell you is that was way more fun for me than if I had known the condition needed to to get rid of it. Right. Way more fun. And I intentionally kept that to myself because that would be metagaming as a DM. If I told you, oh, well, once you get it down to zero hit points, it gets like five more hit points. That would be so boring for you guys. Then I would be telling you, here's the math equation. Right. Do this equation. And that's just like we were talking about, like with a stealth check, when you know you did really well. Yeah. As opposed to not knowing. Actually, stealth check, that's probably one of the best examples of, of metagaming, because everybody, most DMs, let the players roll the stealth check. I think it was Matt Coville that said that he always rolls stealth checks for his players so that they mm-hmm. don't know what they don't know, because a stealth check, you don't know how stealthy you are. If you don't know how stealthy you are, you can't make decisions based on, oh, I rolled a 25, so I can do whatever I want. I can prance through the middle of this room and people won't see me. If you don't know, you're going to still be as cautious as you would be mm-hmm. if you were trying to stealth through a room. And if you do know and you're too confident, that's another thing that you know pulls you out of that immersion of your experience, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny, I haven't done that. Every time I let players do the stealth checks, uh, I, should, I should change that next time I run a game. Because now I realize how kind of counterintuitive it is. There's some, some things that should be obscure to you, right? That, that you shouldn't know, you shouldn't have confidence about. Yeah. Um, that, and I think a lot of them are for things that don't have an immediate effect. If there's something that with makes a sense. really tight feedback loop, like combat... 
I don't need to to hide from you whether or not you did well on a to hit roll. That's true. Immediately going to know if you hit or not. Right? Yeah. I don't know if I've told you about this, but one of those just kind of little tricks is just rolling, right? Nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. There is no event. There's no creature, but just rolling for no reason. You intentionally do that as a DM? Sometimes. Just to mess with people? Or well, just to... To create that environment, right? Of, okay. Of like, what's going on? Is something happening, you know? Especially for random encounters, you know, setting up camp, things like that. It can set up that atmosphere of That's not true. what's happening. For the people who do regularly metagame and they're paying attention to every dice roll, if there are dice rolls that don't make mm-hmm. any difference, then it throws you off. And, you're... and that's a great way to short-circuit somebody's metagaming. Introduce things that don't resolve. Or aren't part of the rules. Right? And that is absolutely, you know, your prerogative as a dungeon master. You can, you can, you don't have to have a reason for everything. You were running a game for us for a little bit, and instead of rolling perception, at least a couple times, you use passive perception Mm -hmm. as the check. Yep. We're walking through a dungeon, and if somebody comes close enough and has a high enough passive perception, Nobody's rolled anything. They're just like, oh, by the way, you noticed this thing over here. Mm-hmm. And that takes the the metagaming out of the equation. Like, you can't... Right? And it can also be helpful, too, if you've got six players. You don't want to roll perception for all of them. Keep right. each individual one and then resolve that against another score. If I just know what your perceptions are, I can roll, let's say, a stealth for a creature and then see who does and doesn't notice it. You know, I just know that, okay... You heard something. You didn't. Do you want to communicate that to the players and all that? I feel like I have homework to do as a DM. Not do. Not home. Say what? We all do. Well, yeah. (laughs) I need to have a rule set for myself. Like, if it's a stealth check, I'm rolling it. If it's a perception check, I'm either going to use passive or I'm going to roll it behind the screen. I I need this rule set of how do I keep it as narrative-focused as possible and take the keys out of your hands when you just don't you don't need to have the temptation of metagaming at certain times in in a game mm-hmm. there's no reason for you to be metagaming stealth i can fix that by rolling the creature's perception and your stealth check myself and one of the things that i do is i have a, a table in my screen and it's got some very basic stats for all the players in it. so you're going to have their, so their perception yeah. If I want to be rolling their stealths, I should have their stealth checks on there. Their, right. Their modifiers. Their modifiers. So yeah. I don't have to ask. If I just roll it for you, yep. you may not know it's a stealth check. You may not know that that's what's that's ha- trying to happen. That's now, true. Usually you're going to actively trying to be quiet. Yeah. So you'll know it's a stealth check that's happening. But if everybody is doing it and everybody's trying to be quiet and I just start rolling, you may not know who I'm rolling for, right? <laughs> um, and again, it may be one of those things where I'm not rolling anything, but I just kind of look up over my screen, smile, and I just look and then go back to my rolls. You know, <laughs> little things like that can kind of put somebody off the game. Just throwing, you know, little wrenches in the works for them <laughs> can keep them on their toes. I don't necessarily want to be a jerk to the metagamer. Well, no. I just want to take that away from. You them. You want to take their certainty away from them. Yeah. And the thing is, they're very, very good at knowing exactly what's happening and exactly what's going to happen. Right, because it's true. They're, 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 they have constants, and as soon as you take those constants away, they have to rely on the narrative. And you'll be surprised how many people that you do that to if they're a metagamer, and they just start having more fun because all of a sudden they're playing the same game everybody else is playing. There's one person 
that I know who is the ultimate metagamer, uh, Nick. <laughs> he is just, because he he just he has an intuitive sense of rules and how things work. So Nick Nick uh, we've mentioned him before. He runs a uh, a podcast indie game reviews. Mm-hmm. What's the name of it again? Check it out, comrade. Check it out, comrade. But we used to play with him uh, a variety of games. Mm-hmm. But he was always on top of the rules. He well, he had to just... because none of the rest of us would bother to learn the game. So <laughs> he had to read them, learn it, and then teach it to us. Right. But Nick is very, very, very sharp. Right. And very quick. But you're absolutely right. If you take that away from him, if you give him the alternative of here's a story, here's an interesting story, and he. It makes his mind work in a different way. Mm-hmm. He's trying to solve the problem in a narrative way now, rather than in a mechanical way. And I think right. that's when D and D becomes really interesting: is when you're thinking about it like your characters, rather than thinking about it like a player. I don't think Nick would be that much of a meta gamer. No, no, no I haven't played D and D with him. I, so. I think he's just he's. He's one of the people who's, who's that quick and that sharp that you could get that sense about him. But he's um, he's, he, he's one of the people who's just good at everything they do and not to be a little infuriating at times. But I haven't played with him either. I've heard some actual plays of him playing some oh, really? different okay. things. Oh, yeah, I, thing, but, I listened a little bit as well. Um, you know, he's a very good narrative as well. That's so true. That's true. He's, he, he's a, a very well-founded player in, in my experience. The people who become aggravating as a metagamer... It's it's a different sort of personality type. I'm, I can't put my finger on it. For for me, there's a very simple criteria for a meta gamer who takes it too far. If I know what I'm doing, I'm trying to achieve a certain result, or for whatever reason, you know, I, I'm trying to say, oh well, what about this? Or I want this bonus? Or this is the AC and all of that. It's less than awesome, but I mean, it's that's how they have fun. It's great. But when I do that to try to inflict or manifest a specific turn of events on another player, hmm. that's hmm. crossing the line, right? Hmm. Um, I've never seen that. This goes back to the, my experience. This was like 15 years ago. Um, of I think it was 10 years ago the last time you said was it. Was it 10 years? I don't I know. Don't. <laughs> well, I, I forget that I keep getting older. Oh, okay. So probably the last time I, I told the story was 10 years ago. That was five years ago. and Yeah. But it was somebody who came into the group cold. Um, and we, I think somebody dropped out. We just needed a new player. And, and somebody showed up. And that right there is... That, that's rough. You know? So you got got a feel for them. Uh, and, but they were down time to have fun, which is great. But we had gotten to kind of a really important tipping point in the game. And they had done something where they thought it was kind of, as I'll say, cute to take something from one of the other players and then mm. bail, right? Okay. And so we had an entire session of just chasing this player. Oh. Basically trying to get the, another player or character's item back. That was a magical item that had been stolen and they were running away. And they just would not keep it up. They wouldn't stop and it was obvious that like, it, and it was cute for like the first five minutes and, and there was this point where you could just tell the, the vibe of the whole room changed. And this kid was not picking up on it, right? Yeah. It was, it was somebody who, in a room full of strangers who knew each other, who wanted him to, to just stop. And and it was two hours of him not stopping. Oh. I, um, could, I could see that working. If, I could see that working in a group of friends. Everybody's friends and the DM's in on it. 
but but yeah, that sounds like the the kind of mentality of somebody who goes into a, a open world video game and just goes around messing with people. He griefed us. He came in and he griefed us. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Exactly I don't know that happened. term because I don't play video games, but whatever. We we felt grief because you felt grief. He inflicted grief upon us. Okay. He griefed us. <laughs> it was terrible. Is that like poning? Sure. I, I used I'm to probably, play video games I'm a long time ago. I'm using it right. I'm old, <laughs> but yeah, like it was, it was just, it was, it was just unpleasant, and there wasn't, a, there wasn't a reason for it. Um, but it was somewhere where somebody came in and was like, I'm having fun, and it's okay that you. That you aren't, or five other people aren't having fun because I am, right? Yeah, and that's just that's not a great way to go about looking, and if not, an attitude that gets you invited back. I think maybe the best thing that can be done, and probably never happens, to not just avoid metagaming, but to avoid a style of play that won't be appreciated by everyone, is at the beginning of your game, everybody sits down and says, "Well, here's how we're going to play." Not not just talk about the characters, but talk about as players. How do you play? So I have a different story, uh, but just kind of the, the contrast for that of somebody who was part of our group, who to this day is one of the people I've loved to play with so many times, and we've kind of grown out of touch, which actually makes me very sad, but um, I should reach out to them. But uh, a fundamental part of our gaming group for years, uh, but we knew that he liked to play sketchy characters. He, oh, okay. He always played a rogue. Always played a rogue. A rogue or a, or a mage. Or rogue mage. <laughs> Sometimes it's mixed up mage rogue. But <laughs> um, that was that, that was what he did for years. For many, many characters, that's what he did. And one game, we all rolled new characters and he came with a, a cleric. Like, what? Out of the blue. We, we didn't give him our time or try to pressure him. Just... It came with a cleric. And I'm like, hey, great, cool. This is, you know, branched out a little bit. And we got like five or six sessions in. It's, things started getting a little weird. And I realized that he was a rogue mage who was emulating cleric abilities with magic items. <laughs> and, and so, and, but the, I mean, we totally, you know, kind of tricked us and ended up, I think that was the same character, ended up stealing a bunch of our stuff. And we all loved it. It was just it was the way that it just came across. It was all it was all in character, and, and it, it it all had a story for it, right? And it didn't. I don't think it went well for his character. Like, <laughs> it ended up like I think we we found his characters like corpse inside the road with, with all of our stuff, and so we got, <laughs> with all of our stuff back. But like, um, it was night and day from the other story, you know. It's kind of like metagaming because he was using your knowledge of the fact that he had this. That he as a player didn't had... feel like it. Yeah, it doesn't it, it feel, like, feel like it. And there was a no. backstory for the reason why this character did it the way he was doing. And I mean... He's just being a good comedian. Well, and having a setup and a payoff. If he plays five of these characters in a row and, and doesn't for the sixth one, or does, like... It did not feel like when a game... I oh, they don't feel like it was. No. Um, it, only in so much as he was telling a joke in a way, through his character. That, and also, you have to let somebody have their kind of fun. And he was telling the joke to the players, not to the other characters. Right. The characters so, know. Yeah. But but that was the kind of character they liked to play. Right? And they and they, and they did branch out. They effectively <laughs> well, it's true. played a, a cleric. Yeah. Right? But they figured out a way to do it with a mage rogue. And, but it also felt very satisfying, because 
we spent five or six sessions trying to figure out what was going on. We had like we had went two sessions into it like there's no way he's not playing <laughs> the, like a major role, right? Third or fourth session we're like we're okay, no, we believe it. And then a couple <laughs> sessions go by and we're like. But this doesn't quite add up. And then we went back to questioning it. We had a bunch of fun. Like when you're watching like a murder mystery, trying to figure it out. Yeah. And he just sat there smiling. And our DM just sat there smiling. <laughs> because they knew. And when we figured out, we had a sense of accomplishment. We didn't feel robbed. We didn't feel cheated for our fun. We had a bunch of fun. I'm letting you experience my fun. I'm not forcing my fun. I'm not taking your right. fun away from you. Just because you, your fun is, is one kind of fun. And my fun is another kind of fun. doesn't mean that we both can't have fun. I feel like there's some underlying truths that, uh, that will become apparent someday about how you get people to, to mesh well. Somehow it, it generally happens. I, I haven't had a lot of game tables where it yeah, doesn't. It really does. Like, like we said in the beginning, I do, I am a much more tactical or strategic gamer. You're much more of a narrative role playing gamer. And we seem to make that work. Yeah. Um, like I said, I always have a lot of fun. I think really what it comes down to is just letting go and just. Be accepting of somebody else's fun, no, that's and then true. that person letting go as well, and being cool with you having a different kind of fun. If I let go and you don't, and then you know, then it's not going to work out. But I have one kind of counterpoint topic. Ben, our friend Ben, has been pushing a different rule system on me, uh, the fate okay. fate system. I haven't read through the whole book, so I really don't understand the system yet. It seems like that system is specifically built to avoid metagaming by kind of reducing the rule set and putting more of the focus on narrative using parts of your character to tell the story. And since it's all storytelling, it inherently takes metagaming out. You can metagame a little bit in it. The chances for doing so are reduced significantly. I'm not sure if that's better because I like the mechanics of D&D. Ben uses the term crunch. Crunch is the feel is the feel of a game that has more mechanics. The more mechanical aspects of it, the more you, the more tangible it is. The more you can say AC and HP and strength and intelligence and wisdom and all of these statistics can be used in all of these very specific ways to produce actions and events and um, situations for characters. Whereas fate seems to step very far away from that and say, here, here are some words. My character right. is shady. Uh, my character likes shiny things. How do you make a game out of just a couple words? My cat likes shiny things. Like, right. <laughs> Your cat can be a character in fate. My cat is kind of shady. <laughs> <laughs> I may edit all of that out because okay. I, don't, I don't know if uh, talking about another game outside of Dungeons & Dragons really fits. Or not? Yeah, Maybe okay. it does. I mean, it's I've a good counterpoint. I played games like uh, Heroes, Champions, uh, some Palladium games. You know, um, Rift, Shadowrun. Um, so I think something about D and D feels like a warm, fuzzy blanket to me. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Uh, but I always come back to D and D. That's fair. I haven't played a lot of role-playing games outside of D&D. I've made a bunch when I was a kid. Like, we would make fake versions of D&D, mm-hmm. me and a, a couple friends, and we would play those. But I'm interested in Fate just because it's advertised as a more narrative version of a tabletop game. Focus more on the story, on the character development, on um, telling a story that feels more like a movie or a TV show 
than a video game. That's the promise. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the reality. It sounds terrible. You do? <laughs> And, and the thing is, I love D&D because it can feel like a TV show or a movie. Mm-hmm. Or, really, I think D&D feels more like a novel. It feels like reading a very expansive novel with a, a wide setting and lots of characters that pop in and out. Whereas in a movie, you're going to focus on you know a small subset of characters and just get the, the beats down for the storyline and get done. In D&D, you could be playing a game for a cumulative of more than 100 hours over uh, a year or more and it feels very immersive because of all of the kind of the game time that elapses the the characters that come in and out of the storyline it feels bigger than a movie or a tv show generally to me and that's fair and that has nothing to do with metagaming not at all it's okay (laughs) Yeah, I did want to ask you something. What's the notebooks at the table? When I was yeah, when I was looking for um, people's suggestions for how to avoid metagaming, uh, one person said put put the books away, so you don't have the rules in front of you, so you don't do uh, rule lawyering. Hmm. It makes sense. If you don't have the books at the table, then when you forget the rules, the that's DM rough. just makes the call and you move on. That's, that's rough. That's super it, rough. It is rough, especially in this day and age. If Somebody doesn't, I'd rather somebody be buried in a book about the game than looking at their phone. Well, yes. At least they're engaged at that point, and they're thinking about the game, right? Yes. And if it's a somebody where it's like you know, rules lawyer or something like that, that's more of a a behavioral thing that yeah. needs to be corrected, not a situational. Do you have a book in front of you? Thing. Rather than putting the books away, the DM can just take responsibility for for saying, yeah. "I'll make a ruling. We'll move on." Yeah. Why don't you, the person who just wanted to do whatever that thing is, look it up in the book. When we come back around to your turn, you can tell us if we did it right or wrong. I think we've both used that tactic with great success. Where oh, yeah. We're, we want to keep moving. I'm going to get Dutchman call now. But by all means, go ahead and figure out the you know the actual correct rule for that. And then we'll play yeah. it going forward. I'd actually argue that Google has messed up all of our brains in, in so much as we want to have the answer now yeah, rather than being able to deal with that kind of smushy answer That's for a little bit. almost like a life lesson type deal that you can get from the Indian that it's okay not to have the answer. Yeah. Right? It's uh, okay to make up the answer or, you know, to, to get creative with that. It's almost kind of, you know, just ingrained in us that we've got to have the answer you know and not just an answer the, the answer right, the answer so uh, if you're wrong right you're done. They, they, there's this perception in our minds that there's some urgency to having the answer I don't know I've seen games come to a halt just because we're all like well wait a second how many feet does this spell affect I don't know oh well let's look it up in this app or in this book or I can't find it the game comes to a halt as everybody pulls out their books. Yeah, if your whole <laughs> game comes to a halt, like it should be because pizza just got delivered. Right. right. Uh, it shouldn't be because like a, something about a rule or something like that. Yeah. It's Friday. Uh, yeah, it's Friday. It's National Donut Day. Is it? I thought that was yesterday. Yeah, uh, we had donuts today. Regardless. Okay. I had donuts yesterday. We're sugar crashing right now. <laughs> yeah. So sorry about that. Um. And I didn't get enough sleep last night. There you go. All the, uh, the, the pre-donut donuts from yesterday. That's that's true. Um, yeah. And then the donut donut donuts from today. Yeah. Post donut 
bullets for tomorrow. Monday's going to be rough. Or Sunday is, anyway. Yeah, we'll Sunday just sleep through it. If you have not subscribed, you should probably subscribe because, what, we're seven episodes in, and you're probably going to watch episode eight. If you subscribe, you'll get a notification. It's wonderful. Please comment. Um, tell us about, I don't know, metagaming things that you've seen happen, ways that you've seen metagaming be uh, avoided or... Um, helpful. Or helpful. I, I, would like, I would like to know more about how it can be helpful. I would love to hear about how it's destroyed the, the entire gaming groups uh, <laughs> or somewhere in between. A friend asked if we we could turn this into a podcast, actually, which just means taking the audio, see. put it out. Why not? Yeah, yeah I, I can. I will probably start working on that. I need to figure out how podcastings work. I'm pretty sure these days where there are thousands of podcasts out there, it will be easy to uh, generate a podcasty thing. Yeah. Or if you want to put a comment there and how to podcast. Yeah, yes, please. By all means, please. Next episode is to be determined. I need to get working on the stigma episode. That's going to take a lot of it's, uh, coordination. Yes. Um, so I, I have plans to do this, an episode on the stigma of D&D, past, present, future. That subject benefits more from interviews with lots of different people. I would definitely agree. Uh, because my perspective on the stigma is, is a very small slice. And your perspective is a little s small slice. And we've just asked a couple friends about it and gotten completely different perspectives yeah. on the whole subject. It's not just a lot of people, but people with, with different levels of experience from different times, right? So you're playing yeah. for 20 years, playing for 5 years. Played a couple times, you know, during the 80s, and now I'm sitting back into it. Right. Or I've been playing for 30 years nonstop. Right. Or, you know, played for my first time, you know, two months ago. Right. You know, I could go out and find random people. If I, if I interview people we've played with before, we're going to get a more intimate yeah. sort of story. Um, I was like going around in my head. Oh, do I do I interview just random people? Like go to the game store and say who, who's the who's the player who's played the longest in this game store? Let's go to the sandwich shop. <laughs> who's, who's played the most? Who's anyway? Uh, that's that's to be looked forward to. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by how that will come together because it's going to be a lot of different people's stories. Hopefully, it comes together in one cohesive story. If not. If not, then it's just going to be. More what you're used to. It's just going to be eight <laughs> different people saying completely different things about D and I love maps over and over and over. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. <laughs> I think we're done. Have a great weekend. I'm gonna eat some more donuts. Okay. Next episode, we talk about memorable moments. We discuss the most memorable moments that we've experienced in D and D, and ask what made them so fun and engaging. If you enjoy Dungeons & Tangents, please let us know by rating us on iTunes. You can also let us know by finding us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent and sending us a funny picture. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.